Mark, we're going to be beginning in chapter 1. We're going to be starting a journey, and I say a journey because we'll, we'll be here for a while in the book of Mark as we go verse by verse and explore and learn about and see the works of Jesus. Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, I'm going to read the first eight verses of Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophets, behold, I send my messenger before your face, who shall prepare the way before you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And there went out unto him all the land of Judea and they of Jerusalem and were all baptized of him in the river of Jordan, confessing their sins. And John was clothed with camel's hair and with a girdle of skin about his loins. And he did eat locusts and wild honey and preached, saying, there comes one mightier than I after me, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and unloose. I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. The Gospel of Mark is believed to be the first gospel that was written out of the, the four synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And many scholars believe that, that Matthew and Luke actually used Mark's gospel as a resource as they wrote their own accounts of Christ. Throughout church history, the gospel of Mark has been attributed to John Mark, who was the friend of Peter and the travel companion of both Paul and Barnabas. You know, the gospel of Mark is interesting, though, because the gospel of Mark is the shortest gospel. But while it's the shortest, it is just action-packed. It insists on radical discipleship. You'll see as we go throughout this, this book that time after time, Mark uses the word immediately. It's just like, it's, it's like he's on the go trying to get his point across. Another thing that you'll notice as we go through Mark's gospel is that Mark does not record a lot of Jesus' sermons because Mark... Mark's emphasis is not on what Jesus said, but rather his emphasis is on, his emphasis is on, is on what Jesus did. So, G, so Mark reveals Jesus to us as God's servant sent to minister to suffering people and to die for the sins of the world. So as we start this gospel account this morning, the title for today's message is Prepare the Way. Prepare the Way. It was Benjamin Franklin who said that by failing to prepare, you are preparing to fail. You know, preparation is something that's not foreign to us. I remember living in Florida. Preparation was something that was vital to your success as far as, as, far as your um, as far as not losing your life, okay? So in Florida, you have hurricanes, right? And so every single year, there is this constant threat of hurricanes that come 
But the good thing is that with a hurricane, you're able to tell a little ways out that this hurricane is going to hit. So the weatherman gets on TV and he tells you, he says, listen, there's a hurricane coming. They can tell you how strong it's going to be. Is it, is it going to be a Category 1? Is it going to be a Category 5? They can show you the path that this hurricane is going to take. The weatherman gets on there and he can tell you about the time that landfall is going to happen. And the whole time the weatherman is on the TV instructing the residents either to evacuate or prepare for this hurricane that's on its way. Some people heed the weatherman's warning. Trying to go to the store in Florida when a hurricane is on the way is like being in a zombie apocalypse. You go into Walmart, and I'm telling you, you go into Walmart, and there is absolutely nothing on the shelves. There's people fighting over the last case of water, fighting over the toilet paper. You go to even like Home Depot, and all the wood is gone because people are getting plywood sheets to cover their windows. You got people that have, have, have bags that they're filling with sand to try to make a barrier to prevent flooding. Even the gas stations. You go to the gas station and, and people are there filling up as many gas cans as possible to run their generators and to make sure that they have enough fuel to get out if they need to. So you have this one set of people that, that, that oftentimes take this threat of a hurricane extremely serious. But then you've got another set of people who generally distrust the weatherman. And rather going to the store to buy survival supplies, inevitably every single year there are people that are going to the store to buy party supplies. They have what are called hurricane parties where they literally at, at Publix, which is like a Kroger down there, Publix just had to quit making hurricane cakes. They would make cakes and they would have the path of the hurricane in this cake. And people would have a party thinking that nothing was going to happen, that, you know, they were safe, they'd been through so many hurricanes before, that it was going to be all good. And with little to no preparation, oftentimes, sadly, in their arrogance, this lack of preparation ends tragically. Proper preparation can be the difference between life and death. And what I want to suggest to you this morning from this text is just as the weatherman tries to prepare Floridians for hurricanes and, and Ohio tries to prepare us for snowstorms, Christians are to prepare the world for the coming of Jesus Christ. If you would, let's pray with me and then we'll dive into the text. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your word, Lord. Lord, I pray that as we look at these first eight verses in Mark, that you would speak through me, that you would hide me behind the cross, that Jesus would be big. Lord, I pray that you would convict and challenge us with your word. Pray you would give me clarity of speech, that you would help me to be concise, and that you would open the hearts and the ears and the minds of the listener, Lord, that they would respond in a way that you would have for them to respond, Lord. Lord, we love you. Thank you for all you do. In Christ's name, amen. As the gospel of Mark begins, with great speed, Mark gets straight to the point. In verse 1, Mark says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. From the first lines, Mark establishes who Jesus is. He is the Son of God. God, the Son, the Messiah, the Savior of God the world. 
But Mark doesn't want you to just take his word for it. After this great declaration in verse 1 of who Jesus is, Mark then begins to show how God has spoken through the prophets in a way that is in perfect accord with Mark's own testimony of Christ. In the opening verses of his account of the gospel or the good news, Mark begins by introducing us to the ministry of John the Baptist. The gospel according to John says this of John the Baptist. John says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. So John the Baptist was almost like you can imagine a dark stage and a spotlight. And John the Baptist would be the one that would be standing behind that spotlight and moving this spotlight until it shone brightly and perfectly on the person of Jesus Christ. He was the one that came to bear witness of the light, to point people towards this Messiah to come. So as we look at this text this morning, what I want us to do is evaluate the beginning ministry, the beginning of John's ministry, and then apply some truths to our own lives in ministry. Look at verse 2. Verse 2 says, as it is written in the prophets, behold, I send my messenger before your face, who shall prepare the way before you, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. All throughout the Old Testament, God raised up prophets, which foretold of a Messiah that would come and deliver the people of Israel. And some of these prophets also told of a predecessor to the Messiah. In Isaiah 40 and Malachi 3, which is where Mark is getting these references from, we see this idea of one who is to come before the Messiah comes. This person had the responsibility of preparing the people of God, preparing the the Israelites for the Messiah's arrival as he came to bring them salvation. So you look at this text, this, this figure of speech, prepare the way, is one that would have been well understood during this time. Ancient Eastern monarchs would send heralds before them on a royal journey. So these heralds would go before the king, and they they really had two purposes. The first purpose of this herald would be to loudly proclaim the king's message. So they would go before the king comes to the city, and they they would tell the people what the king has to say. And and proclaiming the king's message, these heralds would prepare the, the people. They would say, listen, the king is coming. Be ready for the arrival of the king. But Not only did the herald proclaim the king's arrival, but also in doing so, the herald also made his paths straight. The herald was responsible for raising roads over valleys, for building bridges over bodies of water, for leveling hills and filling in ruts in the the road so that as this king came on his journey to the city, he would have as smooth of an entrance as possible. It was the herald's job to proclaim the message and arrival of the king. 
And at the same time, the herald was to remove any obstacles that would keep the king from entering the city. So as Mark begins this gospel, what Mark is declaring from the get is that after 400 years of silence, from the end of the Old Testament in Malachi to the beginning of the New with the Gospels, there's been 400 years that have gone by where God has not raised up any prophets. 400 years have gone by where God has not spoken to his people. 400 years of rebellion and disobedience of God's people to himself. And Mark comes in on chapter 1 and says that John the Baptist is the one coming on the scene. He is the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy as the one who will prepare the way of the Lord. The purpose and the role of John the Baptist was to prepare the people for the coming Messiah. Look at verse 4, and verse 4 it says, John did baptize in the wilderness and preach the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. John prepared the people through his message. John's message was simple. John's message to the Israelites was repent and turn to God. Repent and turn to God. This word repentance is a change of heart and mind that then in turn leads to a change of action. John's message of repentance was for the remission of sins. The word remission means the release or the forgiveness. John was teaching the Jews that they needed to turn from their sin and turn towards God so that they would be forgiven for their sins. He was telling them that because of their sin, they were separated from God, and they were under both the penalty of sin, condemnation, but also the power of sin that they saw in their lives around them and the brokenness that surrounded them. As the herald of the gospel, John proclaimed the message of the coming king, and he cleared any obstacles that would have been in the Jews' hearts. He cleared any pride that they might have had where they said, well, I'm a Jew. I don't, I don't need to prepare for the Messiah. The Messiah is coming for me anyways. And, and he showed them their sinfulness and their need for a Savior. Israel was being asked to turn from disobedience, to turn from rebellion, and to start anew by then in turn turning towards God, turning towards the coming Messiah. You know, as I look at this text, it's a good reminder that when we want to be in a right relationship with God, repentance will always precede that. That when we want to know that we are on good terms with God, that there needs to be a turning from the evil, the turning from the sin, a turning from the disobedience in our life. And in that turning, that doesn't mean necessarily that we're going to be perfect, and that we're no longer going to sin, that we're no longer going to struggle. But this, this idea of repentance, again, it's this change of mind. It's that now when I look at the things that I do, I look at my life, my mind has changed. I no longer want that. I no longer want to do those sinful things and hang out with those people I hung out with. I no longer want to be at the bar at midnight. And so my mind has changed. 
And then in my mind changing, I'm now turning towards God. I'm turning towards holiness. I'm turning towards Christ-likeness. By doing so, John told the Israelites that they would be forgiven, that they would then be released from their sins, and that they would experience the grace of God through the coming Messiah. John's message foretold that the Messiah to come was not an earthly king, but rather that this was a heavenly king. As in verse 8, John says that he is going to come and baptize with the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, nobody besides, God's, besides God himself has the power, had the power to bestow the Holy Spirit upon anyone. Yet John says this man that is mightier than him that is going to come is going to have the power to baptize or to dip, to immerse the people with God's Spirit. While John's baptism identified the repentant believer with the coming Savior, the Messiah's baptism would secure purity of heart. It would deliver his followers from the guilt and the power of sin. The Messiah's baptism would deliver them from the, from the power of sin and bring them into fellowship with God. John teaches that this Messiah to come would do a transforming work by placing his spirit in the heart of people that would trust in him. That he would change their hearts from the inside out. No longer would the Israelites need to try to work their way to God. No longer would they need to adhere to all these laws to try to earn favor with God, but rather when they were baptized with the Holy Spirit, God would be working in them. The Jews needed to understand the same way that our friends and our family today need to understand that it is their sin that condemns them. Listen, John's message is the same message that we proclaim. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. The only difference is that John was looking forward to the coming Messiah, and we look back at the Messiah that already came, Jesus Christ. Listen, in our gospel presentations, as we tell people of this hope that is to come, we need to be very careful not to brush past sin. John said, be baptized, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. I mean, I, I get it. I'm, 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 I, I, I know I can relate to everyone in here and where sometimes talking about sin with other people is not the most comfortable thing in the world. You know, it's not. I don't want to go up to somebody and not only have to tell them that because of their sin, they're separated from God, but then on top of that, tell them about the penalty of their sin. Like, not only are you separated from God now, but your sin will eternally separate you from God. And that's not, that's not necessarily something that's fun and that we should love to share with people Yet at the same time, it's something that's key to sharing the gospel with people. Because if people don't understand why they're separated from God, if they don't understand that it's that sin that separates them, they'll never turn from their sin. And in never turning from their sin, they'll never turn to Christ for salvation. Yes, we tell of God's love. We tell of the sacrifice that Jesus 
gave for us. We tell of God's heart for sinners, but as Thomas Watson, the Puritan preacher said, until sin is bitter, Christ will not be sweet. Listen, the message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is that your sin separates you from God and condemns you to eternal suffering. But that through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, the Son of God, God the Son, if you repent from your sin, if you turn from it and you turn towards Jesus, you will be saved. Listen, the message of the gospel is that salvation is free. It's that, that, that you can be forgiven, that the debt that you once owed to God will be satisfied. That your debt is paid in full. John's, the Baptist's purpose was to prepare the way for the coming Messiah. John's message was repent and believe. And then as we look at this text, we see that John's methods were bold. John was courageous in the way that he presented the gospel. John baptized repentant Jews. The baptism of John is clarified by the Apostle Paul in Acts 19. In Acts 19, Paul says, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. Being baptized by John demonstrated a recognition of one's sin. It demonstrated a desire for spiritual cleansing, and it demonstrated a commitment to follow God in anticipation of the Messiah's arrival. The baptism of John is the same as the baptism of believers today and the fact that it was a method and not a message. It's not that John's baptism was a prerequisite for salvation. It's not that being baptized into repentance meant that that baptism itself is what saved the Jews. But rather, John's preaching of baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins was a picture of faith. It was John showing them that, that now they were identifying with this coming Messiah. The thing about John's baptism is that this was highly unusual for a Jewish person. Jews believed that only Gentile converts to Judaism needed to be baptized. So the Jews practiced baptism, but the baptism they practiced was when a person outside of the Jewish faith, a Gentile, would want to come into their faith. They would baptize the Gentiles into Judaism, but Jews did not baptize other Jews. Jewish baptism was reserved for these Gentile proselytes, these Gentile converts, as a ritual washing for all the defilement of their past. And so in this baptism that John is now calling for, John is calling the Jews to admit that they are sinners and need to get right with God. And to admit that being Jewish does not guarantee their salvation. In other words, this baptism was a sign that 
by renouncing their old dependency on ethnic Jewishness and wholly relying on the mercy of God. He will forgive those who confess their sins and repent. John's gospel proclamation was bold. John was not afraid to tell people of their sin. John was not afraid to tell people of their need for a savior. So to tell a Jewish person, to tell a person of Jewish heritage would be like telling a Michigan fan that Ohio State is superior to them in all ways. Listen, it, it might not end well. It might end to an argument or a fight, even though it's the truth. And this is what the apostle, or not the apostle, John the Baptist was doing in his message. And because of John's boldness and authenticity, verse 5 says, There went out unto him all the land of Judea, and they of Jerusalem. And they were baptized of him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Verse 5 says that all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem confessed their sins. There was something about John's message that drew these Jewish people in. There was something different, something powerful about the message of the Messiah to come. Listen, I, I love the word confess. It says that when he baptized them, that in the Jordan River, that they confess their sins. To confess means to say the same thing. Confession is different from admitting something. If we confess, it means that we are saying the exact same thing about our sin that God is saying about our sin. So in confessing their sin, they're agreeing with both John and with God that it is their sin that condemns them. Then look at verse 6 and 7, it says, And John was clothed with camel's hair and with a girdle of a skin about his loins, and he did eat locusts and wild honey, and preached, saying, There comes one mightier than I after me, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and unloose. In verse 5, we see that John's method was effective. John reached a multitude of people. It says, All the land of Judea. But, but I, I just, I, I, I tend to think that if John were alive today, that John probably would not be getting any book deals on how to grow your church. John was bold, yet John was humble. John was simple, yet at the same time, John was profound. And I think the most important thing about John is that John was gospel-centered. He was good news-centered. His ministry flew, uh, flowed out of his anticipation of the Savior to come. Listen, John wasn't trying to build a name for himself. John said, I'm not even worthy of untying the sandals of the one who is coming. To untie the sandals would have been the role of a slave. John says, I'm not even worthy to be a slave to the Messiah. He wasn't trying to impress anybody. Listen, in verse 6, we see his wardrobe. He ate locusts and wild honey. He looked, he lived like a wild man. He was a simple man with a simple message. Prepare for the king. Prepare for the Messiah is coming. 
And as we look at the purpose, the message, and the method of John the Baptist, before we close, there are are just two challenges that I get from this text that I want to leave us with this morning. See, while John anticipated the first coming of Christ to atone for the sins of the world, we anticipate the second coming of Christ, where Christ will return for his bride, where he will gather the church and he will bring an end to all corruption and all death and all sin. And my first challenge to us this morning as we look at this text and we look at the ministry of John the Baptist is that as we live in light of Jesus' return, we need to be prepared. We need to be prepared. In his first coming, Jesus came as the suffering servant. Jesus came as the lamb to take away the sins of the world. But in his second coming, when Christ returns, he will come as the conquering king. And you know, the question then arises, how do you prepare for Christ's return? And I think the answer is the exact same answer that John the Baptist gave. We prepare by Christ's return by repenting and believing the gospel. Repenting and believing the gospel. Listen, Jesus Christ died on the cross so that you could be forgiven. Christ died on the cross so that you could have a relationship with the creator of the heavens and the earth. The imminent return of Christ, this idea, that word imminent means that Jesus could come back at any time. It should be a great motivator for action. Listen, for the unbeliever, it should motivate you to repent and believe. Listen, the good news is that Jesus loves you. The good news is that Jesus died for you, that he offers you salvation. He offers you forgiveness. The bad news is you have to accept it, that you have to call upon his name. And then the good news is that when you do, he promises that you will be saved. So before it's too late, before there's a day, whether it's by natural death or Jesus's return, that your sin will eternally condemn you because you didn't call upon his name. So understand that sin from your past does not dispel hope for the future. And for the believer in Christ, we prepare for Christ's return by busying ourselves with the work of God. The great reformer Martin Luther said that Christians should live as if Jesus was crucified yesterday, rose this morning, and is returning tomorrow. So we are to be prepared But we also, like John the Baptist, are to be heralds of the gospel, preparing the way of the Lord. And in other words, we are to be prepared and we are to prepare others. Like that weatherman that comes on and tells you, listen, danger is coming. Prepare, get ready. We should be doing the same thing to a lost and dying world. Get ready. The king is coming. Danger is on the horizon. The Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
then how do we prepare others? We prepare others by fulfilling Jesus' great commission, Jesus' last commandment to his church by proclaiming his message, proclaiming the good news of the gospel. Listen, can I tell you this morning that this commission to prepare the way, this idea of preparing the way for the Lord is not just for the preacher. It's not just for the evangelist or for the Sunday school leader. It's not just for those that have been Christians for 30 years. This call to prepare the way is for each and every person that has been saved by Christ. Tell the world the good news of Christ. Listen, how about this? Even simpler, even better, tell your friends. Tell your family that Jesus saves. Tell him what Jesus has done for you, how he has transformed your heart and your mind, how he has brought hope to the broken of the gift of salvation that he offers. Listen, the church, we gather on Sunday to worship the Lord and to edify one another. But then Monday through Saturday, the church scatters. The church goes to different workplaces. The church, uh, we, we all have different friends, different people that we come across. And it is our job that after we fill up on Sunday to then overflow and pour out to the world around us Monday to Saturday. Be bold like John the Baptist. Listen, I'm preaching to myself here. I'm t- I, I need this as much as anybody else does because I understand that so often we get scared to share the gospel, not because we don't want people to know about it, but because we're, just, we, we're, we're worried about other people will think. We want to please man. We don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. I love this quote from the famed atheist Penn Jillette. Penn said, I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. That means sharing their faith. He says, I don't respect them. If you believe there's a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life, if you think that's not worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, he says, how much do you have to hate somebody to not share your faith? He says, how much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? So this is coming from an atheist, a person who doesn't even believe in the good news of Christ, yet he sees the importance of those that have this message of sharing it with all those that are around us. You know, we should be challenged in sharing our faith, but at, at the same time, you know, I think another fear of sharing our faith is that we're worried of rejection. But the thing we have to understand is that when somebody turns down Christ, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting Christ. And you've done your part. Listen, it's not your job to save people. It's not up to you whether or not they accept the gospel. Our job is to tell them and then pray that the Holy Spirit would work in their hearts and their lives, that they would accept that message. You know, one way simple way that we can prepare the way through evangelism is by inviting people to church. Listen, I actually, last night I came, we have invitations for our church. We have tracks. They're out here underneath the TV. There are stacks of five. I want to challenge you this week. Take a stack of five invitations. I know throughout the week there's five people you come across that even if you are afraid to open the gospel with them, you can at least say, hey, listen, I I want you to come to church with me. I want to invite you to church. I just want to challenge each and every person here as you walk out, grab a stack 
of five. And commit this week to handing them out. Sin, evangelism, gospel advancement should be the mission of the church. The message that we boldly and unapologetically proclaim that Jesus saves. I can promise you that each and every Sunday that I stand behind the pulpit, that as people come in, they will hear the gospel proclaimed. Listen, I'm not here to give moralistic messages. I'm not here to make people feel good or to try to give the answers to everybody's life problems. But what I can do, what I can do is point you to Jesus. I can point you to the one that can give you the answers to life's problems. I assure you, he's the only one that has them. It's it's not me. It's nothing I can say, but rather it's from this book and in your life what Christ is able to do through you that I'm here for. We proclaim the message of the gospel corporately through outreach. You know, I was, when, 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 I started, when I started studying this week, I was, I was excited how right off the bat, Mark got into this idea of preparing the way. Our church is in a season right now where I truly believe we are going to be harvesting a lot of fruit. We're in a season where we are going to start kicking back out in the outreach. Just in October, we have a fall fest that's coming up. Listen, we have community dinners that we do. Listen, the mission of the church should not be just to sit in here, but rather to go out there. should be to go to our communities and to show our communities not only through our words, but also the way we live and just our deeds. Listen, that Jesus loves you, that Jesus wants to offer you salvation. The church is not a monument for maintenance, but rather the church is a movement for ministry. Listen, if we want to prepare the way of the Lord as a church, we need to be gospel-centered. Everything that we do here needs to center around the good news of Jesus Christ. Listen, whatever ministry it is, I don't care from the children's ministry to sports ministries to community dinners, the center of it should be Jesus, that we are doing this out of an overflow for Christ and wanting you to know him. We should be gospel-advancing. We should be sharing the truths of Jesus in our community. As heralds of the gospel, we boldly proclaim the coming of Christ. But at the same time, just like the heralds of kings, we need to be removing obstacles so that when that message comes, that when we share the good news of Christ, that people are more easily able to receive him. In my life, Personally, I prepare the way for the king by my testimony to others. I can't just preach the gospel. I got to live the gospel. When people look at my life, they need to be saying, I want what he has. I don't want my life to be a stumbling block to those that I'm trying to reach. I don't want to be trying to tell somebody about Jesus and they're looking at me with with question marks over their head. Like, who is this Jesus you're talking about? Because you definitely don't know him. I don't want my faith and hope in Jesus to just be mere lip service. As I prepare the way for others, I need to be asking myself in my life, in the way that I live, in the way that I treat others, when when the waiter at the restaurant I'm at is, is giving me poor service, how am I 
treating her? Am I getting in Jesus' way? And not only is this relevant to our personal lives, but removing obstacles is also relevant to the church corporately. We need to be removing obstacles as people come through our doors, as people come to hear the good news proclaimed. Listen, we are a hospital for the sick, not a museum for the saints. You know, sadly, one of the biggest obstacles, one of the biggest detractors of people accepting Christ is churches and Christians. Churches and Christians. Mahatma Gandhi, the Hindu religious leader, said, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Listen, when people walk into our church, there should be a line of people that are swarming them, that are gathering and greeting them and shaking their hand and giving them hugs and telling them, listen, I'm so glad that you're here this morning. Is there any way that I can be a help to you? Is there any way that I can be a blessing to you? Listen, we need to be a church that loves and comes alongside people no matter their background, from the addict to the drunk and the poor, the sick, the wealthy, the red, yellow, black, or white. They're all precious in his sight. It doesn't matter who walks through these doors. When they walk through the doors of 4240, to Needmore Road. They need to just be attacked with the love of Christ. How about this one? On a more practical note, we remove obstacles by doing things with excellence. From ministries to our maintenance. What does it say to an unbeliever? When they come into our church and we tell them we have the best news in the world. When we tell them we have hope for everyone. And they go into bathrooms and light bulbs are burnt out. And they drive past the church and weeds are taller than the signs. And they go to a classroom and the classroom smells like mold. What kind of witness is that for Christ? What kind of... Just imagine the kind of obstacle you're putting in front of people, people that don't know Christ. When they come in, the first thing they're seeing, the first thing that is on their mind is how things aren't done well. These are things that are in our control. That's the thing. I'm not saying that that we have to go and do a bunch of extra stuff, but we need to maintain and take care of what we have and do everything as we're doing it for the Lord, and that includes the care and maintenance of buildings, the, the ministries that we run, again, doing them with excellence. And again, just as we have an opportunity when we leave, I told you, I wanted to be really practical with this message and give us things that we can actually do as we leave. You can, as you leave, you can grab some some invitations and you can hand out invitations this week. And another thing that we're going to be doing, like I said, this fall we're kicking up and we have a lot of great things planned and we're hoping to see a lot of guests come and new people come through our door. So for the next four weeks, listen, I'm going to be here every Saturday from 10 to 12. And I'm going to be trying to replace light bulbs and clean floors and do some maintenance on our church. So when people come in, there's, there's not an obstacle. When they come in, they feel that it's clean, that it's fresh, that, that there's something that's actually important that's happening here. And I just want to invite you to, if you have the time, to come 10 to 12 for the next four Saturdays in a row. Listen, we, we, we can have stuff for anybody, no matter 
how much you can do, how much you can't do. Listen, even just having you here, just having your fellowship and knowing that we have your support. Listen, you can bring some donuts, serve donuts. There's something that everybody can do. We, all of us, corporately, the church, the ones who have been saved by Christ, <clears throat> the ones <clears throat> who have accepted his free gift of salvation are commissioned by our Savior to prepare the way of the Lord. <clears throat> Listen, the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit has come. And he's coming again. The Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. <clears throat> if your family is ever to know that there is a hell to shun and a heaven to gain, it is the responsibility of each and every one of us to tell them, to tell them of the hope and forgiveness found in Christ. Every head bowed and eyes closed. <coughs> head bowed and eyes closed. Listen, if you are here this morning and you say, I don't know that I have that hope. I don't know that I am prepared for Christ's return. But I would like to know that I am prepared. If that's you, you're here this morning. I don't want to embarrass you. I just want to be a help to you and pray for you. If that's you, I just want you to slip your hand up. If you say, I, I don't know I'm prepared for Christ's return, but I'd like to be prepared. Just slip your hand up. Now, let us pray. <clears throat> Dear Lord, we, again, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that as we leave the church here this morning, that we would go out excited, emboldened about the gospel, that we would be witnesses to those around us, those we work with, to our family members, that we would tell them the good news of Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would help each and every one of us, Lord, to prepare the way of the Lord. Lord, I pray that you would bring us back, keep us safe, Lord, help us to be gospel-centric. God, help us to glory in the truths of the gospel. Lord, we love you. Pray that the rest of this service would continue to glorify you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Simon, we're just going to take a few, few just a few minutes.